Hi, this is Joel Rosenberg with some reflections on writing the Auschwitz escape. I think one of the most important things for a writer to do is really get out of the house, <laughs> to go someplace you've never been before, you know, someplace powerful, someplace important. You've got to get out of the office and, and go visit places where important stories have happened. Yeah, spend some money. Go someplace you've never been. You can't just sit around reading, although reading and research is obviously critical, but, but you need to go and, and feel and touch and see and smell history. Um, you need to go meet people and ask questions and, most importantly, listen to their answers. I think that's true if you're, obviously, if you're writing nonfiction, but I also think it's true if you're writing a novel. Um, you need to go and, and, and sort of immerse yourself in new places and get new ideas and new thinking and, and, and see places uh, that will inspire you. And uh, not just for the research to make sure you're writing the details correctly. That's important as well. And I try to do that over uh, my life. But I also think it's just important to, to see new things and get new ideas and new perspectives. In November of 2011, I decided to go visit the Auschwitz death camp in Poland. I'd never been there before. I didn't really even want to go, but I knew that I had to. So I invited several friends, a pastor from the U.S. and his wife, and a pastor from Germany and his wife. Unfortunately, my wife, Lynn, wasn't able to join me, but the trip had a profound effect on me. It was, as you might imagine, a surreal and sobering experience to walk through the Auschwitz-Birkenau camp. It's hard to describe the emotions of actually standing in a, in a real gas chamber where real people died, seeing a crematorium where bodies were burned, walking through the cell blocks, seeing the guard towers and barbed wire and, and train tracks. It was haunting to realize that more than one million people were systematically murdered there, and most of them were Jews. While I was there at, uh, in the Birkenau side of the Auschwitz-Birkenau facility, Birkenau being a, an expansion camp, um, a larger camp several miles from the original Auschwitz uh, facility, while I was there, I, I, I stepped into a, a, the, the bookstore that they have, and I purchased a book that explained that there had been many escape attempts, attempts from Auschwitz, but only a handful of successful escapes. I was stunned. We had hired a special guide to take us through the camp. He was really a bright, educated man. Uh, he'd been an excellent guide, and we had learned so much, but he had not mentioned anything about escapes. I'd never heard any, about any escapes in my whole life, uh, but this book gave a brief description of several of them. Intrigued, as soon as I got home, I started tracking down any resource I could about these men who had risked everything to get out. How had they succeeded? What was their plan? Who helped them? Uh, what did they do when they got out? Did they tell anyone in the Jewish community or among the Allies what they had seen, what the Nazis were doing at Auschwitz? The more I learned, the more intrigued I, intrigued I became. It turned out there were several nonfiction books written by several of the men who had escaped and several about them. And there were even several novels on the subject. But they were old, 
some of them were out of print. Uh, if they had once been discussed, I'm sure they were, but they, they seemed long forgotten. As I continued to do my research, I realized that April 7th, 2014 would be the 70th anniversary of the greatest escape in human history, the day Rudolf Verba and Fred Wetzler escaped from the worst of the Nazi death camps. And that's when I began thinking about writing a novel inspired by these true stories that might draw attention back to the greatest escape in human history by men determined to tell the world the truth about what Adolf Hitler was really doing to the Jewish people. If I could finish it and release it by the spring of 2014, I thought I might be able to help people remember these incredible stories of courage and heroism and faith. Without question, the Auschwitz escape uh, was by far the most emotionally exhausting book that I've ever written. And by that I mean I had to immerse myself in the history of the Holocaust. Books, documentary films, websites, museums, research centers, conversations with survivors, conversations with experts, and, and so forth. And the history is more horrific than you can possibly imagine. Even when you think you understand what happened back then, you uncover more darkness, more evil. My wife and kids could see the effect it was having on me, and I could see it as well. I knew the story needed hope. Yes, the fact that the men uh, escape from this unimaginably cruel extermination camp provides hope. Absolutely. They live, they survive, they tell others what happened, what was happening. This, this, this was absolutely hopeful, uh, but it wasn't enough. For me, as an evangelical Christian with Jewish roots uh, on my father's side, I, I wanted to find out if any Christians did the right thing to help the Jews. Intellectually, I knew the answer was yes, that there were Christians who had done the right thing. But I also knew that far too many people who said they loved Jesus refused to obey him, refused to love their neighbors during the darkest period in the history of the Jewish people. Some were too scared. Some lost their faith. Some never had any faith at all. They were just giving lip service to the gospel. It breaks my heart, but tragically it's true. Far too many so-called Christians failed the Jewish people when they needed us most. That's when I stumbled upon the story of Le Chambon uh, and the pastors of this little Protestant village in France who risked their lives to save thousands of Jews fleeing from Hitler and the Nazis. The more I read, the more I knew this was the story of hope I needed to weave into the novel. And I think it's the combination of the two stories. The story of a German-Jewish teenage boy whose family is, is nearly wiped out and then is sent to Auschwitz. And that of a young Frenchman who's a husband, a father, and an assistant pastor in Le Chambon. They're both fictional, but both in inspired by true stories. And it's the, it's the fusion, the combination of these two storylines that I think makes the overall story of uh, the Auschwitz escape work for me. Uh, soon I got fascinated by, by who these men were, how they got sent to Auschwitz, how they met in the camp, how different they are, how 
they get involved in these escapes. And this is what gave me hope, even excitement, if, if I can use that term, to write every day. Trying to understand them and, and going on this hero's journey with them, uh, with them both, not entirely knowing how the story would wind up when I began. I mean, I knew they would get out, obviously, but I, but how all the twists and turns, uh, it was a bit of a mystery to me, and it was a, it was a fascinating process to go through. In addition to going to Auschwitz and reading everything I could get my hands on, I also traveled to Israel and visited Yad Vashem, the Israeli Holocaust Museum and Research Center. They were very gracious, and uh, their scholars there allowed me to come twice to meet uh, with several of their scholars to ask them many questions, tour their facilities, and try to make sure my work of historical fiction was as accurate as I could possibly make it. Several of the scholars actually knew some of the men who had escaped. They had interviewed these men and had long discussions with them, and their insights were so helpful. They also took me down into their vaults, and they showed me copies of the Auschwitz Protocol. This was the document that was compiled by eyewitness accounts from the four key men, key Jewish heroes, who risked their lives to tell the world the truth about what the Nazis were really up to. These four men were Rudolf Verba, Alfred, or also known as Fred Wetzler, Arnost Rosen, and Czeslaw Mordovich. And those are four names that I hope... Uh, that you'll remember. I'm going to repeat them again in a moment because uh, they were heroes. Uh, the world didn't really fully understand what was happening in Auschwitz until these four men risked their lives to escape, and then not just to escape to save their own lives, but escape in order to tell the world what was happening and to try to stop an even greater uh, or, or additionally new horrible uh, crime against humanity, uh, the shipping of Hungarian Jews uh, nearly a million of them were expected to come to uh, Auschwitz-Birkenau and be aghast immediately. And these four men picked up uh, clues of this and were doing everything they could to stop that from happening. They are, again, Rudolf Verba, Fred Wetzler, Arnost Rosen, and Czeslaw Mordovitz. And... Um, I think these are some of the most amazing heroes of the 20th century, and most people don't know their names. But one of the things I want to do with this book and with all the media uh, that goes with it is to tell those names and encourage people to understand what they did. Now, look, I'm sure there are flaws in the Auschwitz escape, uh, but I want to say that the scholars at Yad Vashem were very generous with their time, uh, as they, too, want to help more people understand what happened and why. I mean, that's why they do what they do, and I'm deeply grateful um, for their help. Now, now that the book is out, uh, I'll be curious to see how people react and what kind of questions they ask. I think that the one of the hardest things for people to really understand uh, when it comes to the Holocaust is that it happened at all and that it could happen again. I mean... We think about that. I mean, how could human beings do such ghastly things to other human beings? How could it have happened in our parents' and grandparents' lifetimes? How is that possible? These are haunting questions, especially when you think of all the evil that's going in the world today. And one of the central points I make in the book is this. Evil, unchecked, 
is the prelude to genocide. And what I mean by that is that when people don't act decisively to stop evil, that evil grows and grows until it robs, kills, and destroys everyone in its path. The problem is that so many in our modern, western, sophisticated world don't believe in evil. They don't want to talk about it. They don't believe evil is a real force in our world today, and, and this is dangerous. As I've said in the past, to misunderstand the nature and threat of evil is to risk being blindsided by it. Americans didn't understand the evil that Adolf Hitler and the Nazi regime represented for far too long. So we didn't act decisively until World War II had erupted and, and six million Jews were killed and millions of others were killed as well. We didn't understand the evil Saddam Hussein represented until he gassed the Kurds and raped and pillaged Kuwait. We didn't understand the evil that Osama bin Laden represented until he killed uh, some 3,000 of us in the attacks on 9-11, and he built a global network of radical Islamic jihadists that were still fighting more than a decade after 9-11. The scriptures tell us that evil is real. The word evil is used 510 times in the New American Standard Bible. The first time is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, speaking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The next to last time is in 3 John chapter 1, verse 11. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God, but the one who does evil has not seen God. The last time the word is used is in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 2, in the Lord Jesus Christ's message to the church in Ephesus. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. God speaks a lot about evil, and the, the presence of evil, the nature of evil, uh, the knowledge of evil, and, and that men are evil. Some men are evil. And, uh, but unfortunately today, I, I think our leaders in Washington don't truly understand. Take Iran, for example. I'm not, I don't really believe that, that all of our leaders really understand the evil that the leaders of Iran represent. Some do, but, but some in positions of real authority and, and power do not. The mullahs in Tehran are telling us they want to wipe Israel off the map. They say they want to destroy the United States, whom they call the Great Satan, even as they move steadily towards nuclear weapons and the missiles to deliver them. That's evil. The Iranian leadership wants to bring about a second holocaust. That is evil. A new poll we just conducted finds that 80% of Americans believe that Iran wants to bring about a second holocaust. Americans overwhelming un overwhelmingly understand the danger. They understand the evil that Iran's leadership represent. Yet many Western leaders, including our own, some of our own, do not. And I, like many Americans, are deeply concerned that, that our leaders are not taking decisive action to stop this evil before it's too late. These are some of the issues that, uh, that uh, come up uh, in, in uh, 
in the course of writing the Auschwitz escape and thinking it through and thinking about the lessons of the Holocaust and how they apply to our time. I'm also concerned that over as time passes, as we get further from the events of the Holocaust, it's been seven decades since it happened, that uh, more and more people are forgetting what happened or that they'll stop learning the lessons of the Holocaust. And I think the good news is that uh, the more Holocaust education is being done today than perhaps at any other time, um, there's movies and museums and books and novels and plays and so forth, but just because there's more available doesn't mean we're really teaching our young people uh, what happened and how to prevent such evil from triumphing again. But I hope that in some small way that the Auschwitz escape novel will help draw some attention back to these important stories and the vital lessons that we can and must learn from them. Maybe the book will inspire people to take their kids to a Holocaust museum. Maybe it will inspire them to read The Hiding Place by Corey Tenboom and The Diary of Anne Frank and Night by Elie Wiesel and Bonhoeffer by Eric Metaxas and The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich by William Shire or any of the other books that I use in the research for this novel, all of which are listed in the back of the Auschwitz escape. Maybe it will inspire uh, people to start praying for Israel and the Jewish people, to start investing in organizations like the Joshua Fund that cares for Holocaust survivors, or even take their family to visit Israel. I hope so. A novel has a way of capturing people's imagination, of drawing people into a story, of helping them go into a world so foreign to them and, and, and to really feel it, to experience it in a powerful way. But in the end, a novel is just a story. We need to do more than just read about history. We need to make history. We need to apply what we learn. We need to go and show the love of Jesus Christ to people who need his love, his mercy, his kindness. Maybe the Auschwitz escape will inspire some people to, to, to rediscover the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to love him more deeply and to love others in his name. Maybe. I'm Joel Rosenberg in Washington.